Hi there, and welcome to another episode of African Business Stories. Africa is the only region in the world where more women than men choose to be entrepreneurs. What this says to me is that the story of business in Africa is the story of the African businesswoman. So we're on a journey of discovery to find these women and tell their stories. On the show, we will hear from female innovators and entrepreneurs building and running businesses in Africa. They will share the highs and lows of their entrepreneurial journey and lessons learned along the way. Some of these women you may know and many you may not, but I assure you that all their stories are inspiring in their own right. My hope is that these stories will inspire you to reach for your dreams and leave a legacy for generations to come. It makes such a big difference to us if you can rate, review, and share our episodes. You can do this mainly on Apple Podcasts, and you can find us on all podcast platforms. If you're in Africa, Spotify is now available, so check us out there. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. On the show today, I chat with Zainab Ashadu, the founder and CEO of Zashadu, a leading sustainable leather brand that specializes in handcrafted leather pieces. We talk about starting her career as an actor, how a chance meeting with an old acquaintance helped her connect with her passion and begin the journey that led her to Zashadu. Zainab is one of a few bag makers in the world that still do artisanry work. And it was interesting to learn about the craft and the leather industry in Nigeria. We also talked about a new business she has started around holistic health. It was both insightful and healing. Let's get into it. Hi, Zainab. Welcome to African Business Stories. Hello, Akego. Nice to talk to you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so... I thought you were from northern Nigeria until I started to research you and I found out that you're from Edo States. Do do you get that a lot? Yes, I do. I do get that a lot. People assume that I'm from northern northern parts of Nigeria, which is a fair assumption, you know, my name is Zainab Bashadu. But actually my my ancestors are Fulani descendants, so there is that link. Um at least in the way that I look or, you know, the way that my limbs are and stuff. So that also adds to it, but no, I'm from Edo State. Interesting. So, do you, but do you speak Hausa at all? I don't know. My parents do. Okay. Yeah. okay. I speak my I speak my local dialect, which which is Okwela. So, but which part of Edo State are you from then? So I'm from Northern Edo State. It's very close to Alchi, so I'm from Okwela. It's a village called Okwela. It's a local government. Okay, I think I think most of us know where Auchi is just yeah. because of <laughs> the 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 polytechnic yeah. there. Yeah. So so, but you were born and raised in Lagos. I was actually born in London. Okay. Um, and I lived in. So I was born in London. I lived in London till I was five. I moved to Lagos till I was twelve. I moved back to London till I was twenty-seven, and then I moved back to um, Lagos to live interesting so mm-hmm. so what are some of your fondest childhood memories um <laughs> fondest childhood memories playing with my sisters playing uh like reenacting books that we'd read you know like the detective books and like finding the neighborhood thieves and just like doing all sorts of like really 
crazy creative things. Um, telling stories with my mom and my aunt at night, like uh, by the, you know, when they take lights and you sit outside on the balcony and you're mm. feeling powder in your body and there's, you know, mosquitoes, swatting mosquitoes away and there's a lantern. So those kinds of things um, are very nostalgic for me. Yeah, oh, that's sweet. I, I have similar childhood memories. That that's that's really cool. So, so when you were younger, what what were your like um, ambitions? What did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? Um, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I never knew what I wanted to be. I, I changed my, I, you know, I just kind of I wanted to be a um, the person as someone who studied the stars. I wanted to be a rapper. I wanted to be. <laughs> an accountant because it was what my dad liked um so I just kept changing I would change my one profession every month I never and then it got to a point where I was like you know what I actually don't know what I want to be so I never had any um set idea in my mind Hmm. so so what then inspired you to to study English and modern what was it drama studies modern drama studies so what inspired you to do that well, by the time it got to choosing what I wanted to study at university, so I did want to go to university. I was, I was interested in um, learning and, you know, I was very curious. Um, I still am. I just decided, okay, I'm going to go to university now. So I'm going to study what I like. I'm going to study what makes me happy. And um, English has just always been something that has just been so natural to me. I've been a natural reader, a natural writer, um, and modern drama studies as well. It just was something I liked, you know. I just liked acting, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to study what I want. Um, and that's really what, that that was the decision behind, the the, uh, the reason behind making the decision. I thought, let me just make myself happy. Um, so, so when you finished your degree, what was the next step? Because I know you became an actor at some point. Was that what you did immediately after university? Yes, so I was acting. I was acting all throughout my my degree, um, and also afterwards as well. Um, but after a little while of being a jobbing actor, I I got bored of it. I think okay, the other thing that I kind of like is architecture. I like architecture. I like I like what I think architecture is. Um, and so I applied to many different architecture firms with no experience, just saying I know nothing. I wanna know something, I will be the best shadow person you've ever had. I will be, you know, I will make coffee, I'll make tea, I will do everything. And so I joined a firm and it was it was good because it made me realise that I didn't actually want to do anything with architecture. Really? <laughs> you know yes, I didn't really, you know, it's not it's not the way it seems. It's it's the sort of thing that you feel like, or at least then you felt like um creatively it's like where you can be creative but be also respected you know and it's actually a lot of work a lot of maths um and not it it uses the other side of the brain that I I'm not using you know I'm not so um it was a good it was a good experience though because it really got me into office work it really got me into kind of the back end of things how everything needs to be in order for everything in the front to work and how important the back staff are for the front staff, you know? Mm. Um, and just efficiency and telephone answering and speaking with clients and all of those sorts of things. It was really, I liked that aspect of it and lots of admin things to learn. So mm. it definitely was a valuable experience. 
did you actually study architecture? It was just, or it was just that placement. Oh, it was just the placement. I just, I just studied uh, the 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 architects. I just worked okay. with the architects. I just shadowed a bunch of architects, actually. Um, so yes, that was my foray into architecture. Then I began working in fashion. Right, okay. I began working in fashion um, as a stylist. So I was working as a stylist and I was working as a buyer. Okay. Um, yes, I was working as a buyer, and that was also very interesting. I was working for a few department stores and. Um, a few stores as well, just buying, buying all of the things you need, understanding how that aspect of the business works. And that was interesting. Um, All along, I don't realize it, but I'm getting trained in so many different aspects of what I'm going to eventually end up doing. And then what actually turned me around was that I bumped into somebody who I knew a couple of years back. Mm -hmm. Um, I I was dating her cousin, I think. And so I saw her only in the summers and we bumped into each other in the street and she was like, what are you doing now? And I said what I was doing. And she said, Oh, you're not, you're not, you're not doing fashion. And I was like, what do you mean? She said, I thought you were, I thought you were studying fashion. I said, no, I ne- I never studied fashion. I was just, so she was like, so you mean all those things you used to wear? <laughs> you just were making them for fun. And I was like, yeah and she looked at me like you know when you look at someone like wow this person is actually crazy you know this person has not taken their meds sort of thing and Mm. it was in that moment I thought oh maybe I need to be creative in this aspect if if a stranger has been seeing me all summer long and actually believed through my expression that I was working in this field actively then maybe that's where I should go um and so the only allure I had, the only kind of desire I had for fashion at that time was, as I've always been obsessed with handbags. I'd, hmm. At that point, I'd collected like 200 handbags. I had them all on my wall, hung up on the wall. Um, I'd go to the, it was the thing that I was most um, passionate about. And it was hmm. the thing that I was most, it just was very, like it was like breathing to me. It was right. so normal, so normal that I could not think of it as a profession because I think at that time that's not really what you're led into. I think now we're more, you know, thinking that way and probably will teach our kids to be that way. But then it's not like that's like the thing you do, your hobby sort of thing. On the, so on the side. Come, yeah, it didn't come to the forefront of my mind. Um, but after I bumped into this girl, I thought, oh, Okay, it was like it was actually a moment. It really was a, like a, a pivotal moment in my life, and I thought, right, okay, I love handbags. I always have. I've always collected handbags or different types of handbags. Um, I would. I was very dedicated. I would go to the market in the morning. Like I'd go to Portobello Road Market at like five a.m. I must have been sixteen or something, and I would go scour, look for handbags that really spoke to me. That really made me feel good, you know, whatever it was. And then I would buy them and I would. So I had this collection. I was amassing this collection and it kept feeling like something was missing. Like I'm, I kept looking for that one bag, you know, I kept thinking I need to find that one. I need to. Find... And I realized it was my bag that was missing. It was <laughs> my, own, um, you know, my own take on bags that needed to come into the world. Um, and so from that moment, I started thinking about handbags and I started thinking hmm maybe let me just 
let me just let me put something together. Let me try and you know, and then and then I decided to go back to school. Hmm. Yeah. So I was I was coming to that. So so were you were you going in specifically to study bag making or, or what was the course like? So at this point, I was like. I don't need to, I know what I'm doing. Like I just felt, as I said, it's the thing that I've known the most, you know, the thing I knew how to do the most. I just understood it and I just knew about it innately. Um, But I remember calling a friend and saying, what do you think? I'm thinking perhaps I should apply for a course um, at London College of Fashion to do, to study handbags, handbag design. And, you know, I, I feel like I don't need to do it, but I, maybe, you know, I recently had a talk and she said, just do it. You, you won't have anything to lose. Just do it for the sake of it, you know? And I said, okay, fine, I will do it. So I applied. Um, it was a long course. It was an evening course. I was working during the day mm-hmm. and I just would go and le- would learn about materials, you know, the different sort of leather. So it just really confirmed what I already knew, made mm-hmm. me really realize that, okay, I am on the right path. And it also... I, I learned pattern cutting, which is, you know, integral to, um, to to any kind of designing work. So I left there. So it was the only thing that kept on holding my attention the more I went into it. Every other um, interest I had, after I went in, I was like, I'm done. I went right. in, I'm done, I'm done. And this was the one that I kept wanting to know more and know more and know more. So I just continued. That's interesting. So, so what was your your vision? So, you finished. How long was the course? The course was it was a long course. It was about it was a couple of months. Okay. So, months, yeah. so you finished this course, and and what was your vision at the time for for the brand you were thinking about? Actually, I didn't think about a brand. Um, okay. I didn't think about building anything. I just thought about. I thought I need to keep this feeling in my heart going. I feel connected to this. I feel like, you know, it was it engaged me. I didn't think about anything more than that. You know, I knew I would never be, I knew I wouldn't be hungry. I knew I would, I would always have a roof over my head. So I, you know, cause I had a supportive family. So I kind of used that to my advantage and I thought, right, I've done this course now what I need to do is now get some hands-on experience. Let me find a way in which I can be an apprentice to somebody. So I okay. did the same thing. I went around, found somebody who would take me on as an apprentice. And I found the most perfect situation. It was in London as well. And it was a bag designer upstairs. She rented like a small space upstairs that she was designing. And downstairs, she was renting the space from a um, a little factory, like a little Bangladeshi-run handmade factory that was making bags for all of the big brands was making bags for like you know lots of people so I had this incredible experience where I was working directly with a um with a with a designer you know seeing how she put things together just seeing her process seeing her bags and knowing just by the contrast that her bags her own designs provided that that was not what I wanted you know I think that also helps but Mm. also the beauty in it as well and seeing how it was put together and then seeing the way the, the factory was being run and being managed and then the designs will, will come to life from upstairs and just go downstairs and it would just be boom a bag you know so that was really invaluable for me um I didn't get paid um I was just I think she paid my transport but it was like I should have been paying her I should have been I should have paid a lot to be in that situation so I really got a lot out of that um 
And after that, soon after that, I was still working in fashion. I was still like working as a buyer, working different jobs, um, doing different things in fashion related things. And one day I just, I, I hadn't been to Lagos in a couple of years. Hmm. And day I got the feeling that I should come. And I, I was dating a guy then and I just decided to go with him for, for, for Christmas. I came to Lagos. I was like, I, I need, I, something just said, live here. My family hmm. lived in the UK. And so I was like, okay, I've got to live here. <laughs> so I came back to London, <laughs> told my parents. <laughs> wow. I was like, Mom, Dad, I'm going to live in Lagos. They were like, because, you know, we'd all moved as a family. So we'd all moved to the, to the UK, living, everyone was living together and everyone was living there and everything. So I was like, you know, okay. So I moved in two weeks. I packed my bags. Wow. Found someone, found a family. So I just found somewhere to live. Okay, moved over and just jumped right in, just jumped right in and felt like, okay, I need to be around this energy. I just need to, somehow it's going to, it's going to, it's going to work. It's going to make, make way. <laughs> I'm, I'm stunned. You know, a lot of times they tell you how you have to have a plan and I do this and I do that. And it's great to just almost like a breath of fresh air to hear that sometimes you're just following your heart and following your, that inner voice and just doing and from doing, yeah. from doing you become, you know, yes. so, so at what point then is, is the Shadu born, you know, at what point okay. do, do you shift from, I just want to make a, you know, a bag that I love or bags that I love and stay connected. What, at what point does, you know, is the Shadu then born? Yeah. Okay. So then I'm in Lagos and I'm working. So at this point I'm working in art. I'm also working a bit in fashion. I'm doing some styling. Um, I'm just really kind of checking things out and doing things. And then I'm working, I, I work in, in, in art. I start working as, a, I start training to be a curator, you know, working with other artists and putting shows together and really enjoying it. And I think something about seeing artists living their dream, doing their thing, just made me feel like, yeah, I can do it. You know, like, yes, of course it can be done. So I started exploring leather. I knew the history of leather in this country. And so that was also very interesting and alluring. I would go to the markets, like local markets where they had some leather and I would find things and I would, and I just started exploring and designing, like putting things together, you know? And then I made a bag I made a couple of bags, but I designed one particular bag that I liked, right? I think it was the first one that I designed, actually. The the the, the first one that I was like, I've been honing my school for a while. So by this point, I knew my aesthetic. So I designed okay. a bag. I was in love with this bag. I thought it was so beautiful. I had it on a on my table where I had, I was going to receive a client. And I, the client came over, we were talking, and um, she just wouldn't stop looking at this bag and halfway through the uh um appointment she says sorry excuse me where where is this bag like what's this bag and I'm like oh it's mine I made it you know because uh, I was look I had it in front of because I, I needed to keep looking at it you know I needed to keep looking and seeing what it was like and um she was like you made it I said yeah and she was like oh can I can I can is it for sale I was like yeah it is for sale and she offered me some money or she asked me how much it was. And I boldly told her what I thought which mm. at that time. This was years ago. This was to be in 2011 or 10. I said 60,000 Naira. And she was like, okay, all right. 
I said, okay, we swapped, you know, I gave her the bag, she gave me the money and I took the money, went back, got more materials and made more bags. And so I was juggling these things, you know, at this point I was like head of PR for Lagos Photo, a photo festival. I was definitely assistant curator at African Artists Foundation. And then I was the Shadu doing bags. Um, and it got to a point where people kept asking me, are you, that, are you the person that does bags too? Oh, I saw a friend of mine carrying your bag. What other designs do you have? And it was so much at that point, I thought, you know what? The best thing for me to do is just to bring everything together. I'm going to have a blog. That's the best. I'll have a blog. I'll write down everything and, I, and then it'll show the designs. People can see it. Hmm. And so what I forgot to realize is that a blog is worldwide. You know, it's not just like in Lagos. So I put everything up on the blog. I was writing and I was sharing pictures of the things I just made. And we started getting orders from like, People started asking, hi, can I have this bag? I live in Russia. Do you ship to Russia? Oh, wow. Of course I ship to Russia. Um, do you ship to Paris? People were willing to pay me, a Nigerian girl, living in Nigeria, living in Lagos, with a hmm. reputation that we had, um, money into my UK account and get their bag shipped from Lagos to them. Hmm. And I thought to myself, hang on a minute. If I just like declutter my life, remove all the other distractions and just focus on this, build a way in which people can actually get bags easier. It doesn't make sense to be hopping and jumping. Um, and just do that. Let me see what would happen. And so that's how the shadow was born. It really was born out of demand for, you know, people wanted to get the bag and I wanted to make it easier for them to get the bag. I respected that. And um, and that's really how the shadow that we know today started really. Hmm. So how did you decide on the name Zashadu? I, I know where it comes from, but how did you, what was the process of, of, of coming to the name? So the name was something that took me a very long time to decide. I was like, I didn't know what to call it. I had all sorts of names, as you can imagine, sorts of cheesy sounding names, names that made no sense. And then ultimately, eventually I thought, do you know something? I know the sort of person that I am. If something has my name on it, I will. I won't mess around with it. Right. So I just thought that I just, I just, it just came to me. I thought, okay, they never shadow. Maybe that's too much. So shadow, take off the. And it just came in a moment. I thought, okay, and I, I just decided that like that. Hmm. Interesting. So you talked about, um, you know, earning money and putting the money back into the business and, you know, making more bags and, you know, you can keep running a small scale business that way. Um, mm-hmm. But, but how have you been able to scale? Because you, you yeah. have scaled um, tremendously over the years. So how have you been able to scale? Okay. So when it got to a certain point and I, I wanted to scale, I wanted to do more with it and offer more, offer the clients more because that's really the key the focus of the business is actually very client orientated or we, we call them collectors. Um, wanted to make it easier for people to get what, whatever it was that they wanted. I decided to take investment into my business. Okay. Um, and I had to think about the different options. So I educated myself, you know, hired an accountant just to understand all the different options. Um, he was my friend, the accountant, so I didn't actually pay him, but I just, you know, used his services. Sure. Um, and I decided that the best thing for me to do would be to get investment from my pool of friends, like people that I knew. So that was another process that I had to go into quite, I took my time with it 
um, I think my my investor quoted me for probably a year hmm. um, because I really had to be sure because it's just something that's, you know, it's, it's as you can tell, it's very heart led. It's all about how I feel, you know, going, following my nose and everything. So it's, it's important to me that I keep um, an aspect of me. And so it's, it's a very intimate thing who you bring into your business, I, I believe. Yeah. And so I really wanted to be okay with that. So I had to make sure that this gentleman was somebody that I could, you know, we were friends, I could vibe with, he, we got each other. He would also understand that I'm, a, this is the sort of person that I am. I can't turn myself from being this sort of person into another sort of person. Um, and so we found the right balance and then I, we, we made a deal and that really helped us scale. Your bags are stocked in multiple stores around the world. Was that an intentional move or did that, that just happen organically over time? Um, it was both. I knew that um, in order to reach uh, more people, uh, especially people that were interested in our businesses, so uh, sorry, in our bags rather, um, I just paid attention to the cities that ordered the most. And I thought, okay, we should have a presence in this city. We should have a presence in this city as well. Um, and so... I would then pay. I would then respond to the um, stores who had reached out and said, "We would like to stock you in this city." So it, it, that's how it was. It wasn't sort of just me going to X, Y, Z and saying, "I wanted to. I want to stock my things in this store." Mm-hmm. And that's also deliberate, not because I couldn't do that, but because the, the fashion business is very. There's a lot of there's a lot of glamour around fashion. There's a lot of like what it appears to look like and there's also what it really is like Mm. so I'm really focused on what it is like because that's how I entered it and came in through it um and so I knew that if I decided to okay I want to have the bags in this store this one or that one there's so much there 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 are so many people that are willing to take advantage of that young person's dream, that dream to be in this store, in this or, or whatever. Um, and they're not always scrupulous. They're not always um, integrous. And you can't really tell until they've, you know, kind of taken your money and gone and gone away. So I thought, okay, in order for me to make this business really work, I have to focus on the foundation of the business. And that is the people in Nigeria. These are the people that make up the bottom of the pyramid, Right? right? And that is the foundation. So I can't take my eye off that in trying to climb this thing. If I do that and I haven't secured the foundation, I'm going to fail. So I thought I'm going to just focus on the Nigerian side. So I decided to cut the business up and have a sort of a, a different approach to the international arm and a different approach to the local arm. Okay. And that's the only real way I could do it. So that way I wasn't expending too much energy and I would wait for the right match to come in internationally. And if it was the right match, they could meet all of our, you know, order minimum orders. Um, and, you know, they, they met all of our, all of our terms and conditions, then we'd work together, hmm. you know, it hmm. worked. And so that's really how I did it. That's interesting. So, so you train in, in London and, you know, all the equipment and everything you use, you know, is, is there in London. So coming to Nigeria and setting up, how, how easy was it for you to find the right equipment um, to, to be able to produce the bags in the beginning? That's a very interesting question. Um, because it allows us to kind of go deeper, um, go down the rabbit hole. Hmm. So, the training I did in, in the UK or in London 
historically, leather artisanry or leather work is really about the person and the and the materials. It's really a, a very kind of rudimentary kind of work, very hands. It's, it's that's why we you know we work with artisans. Now in the world, there aren't that many brands that still do that sort of work, that still do, that are still really interested in, in artisanry work. Um, one of the companies that does do that is Hermes, for example, and that's why it takes a certain amount of time to get one of one their most expensive or whatever, because it's one artisan making it. And that really was my interest, because I, I, that's the beginning of it, right? Technology is great, but I really also like to know um, um the fundamentals of a thing and that's what I learned so when I came to Nigeria and I decided to start working in Nigeria I knew that I had to go with the flow not against it Hmm. I knew that I had to go with the grain because even if I had a ton of money and I think this is a mistake a lot of people do make even if you have a ton of money like you can access so many tools and whatever it is people that you're employing are on a different wavelength from you, completely different wavelength. Um, And I I found that in order to really, in order to really be successful, everybody has to be able to have the same vision. So it's easier to come down to people's levels and then work up than to bring a higher, you know, and then try and get, it's, we're not even eating the same foods. We don't even travel the same way to our houses. It's completely different. So I just decided to see what the artisanry skills were like in Nigeria and see if I could work with that. Mm-hmm. And what differed were the tools, right? So when I was studying in, in, in London College of Fashion, I was actually learning to cut leather by my hand. And the only machine we work we were doing was just sewing. Everything else was hand, hand done. Um, and so I found that it was the same thing here. And actually, we are the originators of the leather artisan, artisanry, the, the West African and it moved, the, the trade moved and then went into other places. People think it's Italy, but it's actually us. Mm. Um, we, we get the, 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 we make the bags from the, from hunting. That's where it comes from, you know? Um, and that's in our culture, that's in our nature. So, um, I found that they were even more skilled than people that I'd been seeing and they were even much more creative because they were refashioning knives. Mm. You know, they'll go and get knives, refashion them and make them into different sort of leather tools. And so I thought, okay, different tools, same results. Let's go. And that's how I just kept going with it. So a lot of the work that we do, the majority of the work that we do, like maybe I would even say 90% of the work we do is all hand. And it's just like 10%, which is which requires you to then fit everything together. Sew all of the edges together. So the but everything else is done by hand. Wow. And that's really what is for me, um interesting for me I like keeping that tradition alive um I like keeping the leather artisanry tradition alive I like keeping that aspect of it alive because it's very important it's what makes us human it's what connects them to what they're doing they're artists and that's why we don't have a production line either it's one artisan per bag um so it could have been a challenge Hmm. but I decided to to make it work for me that's very interesting. So in terms of quality, how do you how do you maintain quality so your bag competes internationally with 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 other um brands? Um I just I, I, I teach what I know. I, I teach 
I teach a better way. I I, I, I draw mm-hmm. the attention to um, how it can be better. You know why why you should care that it's better. Why it's important that it looks a certain way. You know, it fin- it's finished a certain way. So. I care, and because of the passion I have for it, you know, I think if I didn't know how to make bags, my artisans would not respect me. But because I know how to make a bag, I can make a bag by myself from start to finish. They sit up and they're like, okay, this woman must really know what she's talking about because here she is using hammer and we're just, you know. <laughs> so, um, I mean, it's important, isn't it? It's an, it's an important thing. Forget that, you know, it can compete on the international market. Just in general, it's important for a line to be straight so that you know what a straight line is so that you can define an unstraight line, you know? And so for me, that's really what it is. Yes, the artisans can be rough, but you have to make them buy into your vision. You you have to, they need to feel like they're important to your business before they can start changing their ways because these ways they've had for a very long time and people will come and say I don't like this finish and they can talk to them and say eh if you don't like it go and people will go so you really have to look at it it's not their fault really it's not their fault that they think this is okay if you look around us in the country that we are there are many things that are not okay that people seem to think is okay our government seems Hmm. okay so what else do you want them to how do you want them to behave when there are people that are ruling the country behaving in a way that, you know, what, what do you want them to do? So um, it's my responsibility to get them into my vision. It's my responsibility to hmm. make them to do whatever it is, like you would a child, you know, sweeting them up and bait them to come into the vision. And when they see that vision, they can't unsee it, you know? And right. so we work together as a team and we achieve the goals because they see that it's a better way of being. Talking about the leather industry in Nigeria, we all know that a lot of the, the foreign brands get their leather from Nigeria. But how accessible is it for local manufacturers in Nigeria? Um, I don't know what it's like right now for, for you know, um, designers coming in or brands coming in at this stage new or whatever I don't I can't tell you that I know what their experience is like because we've been in it for a long time and they they know me now and they they answer me and all of that stuff but from my experiences then um you the minimum order to me so there are tanneries that are working they're not that many but there are there are there they're working and they produce leather and they sell internationally they have great quality leathers and it's great but in order for them to respond to you as a designer you have to meet the minimum order which is like 5,000 square feet per skin per color which is as big as like it's huge it's massive it's like uh like a truck full of leather well who's buying that you know those many bags what are you going to do with all that leather so um and it's the minimum order because that's what makes sense for their business because their business is set up to um, sell to international houses that are buying. And so, I mean, I'm sure they want to help. I'm sure they would love to help, you know, Nigerian designers or African designers, but it just doesn't really make business sense to them because in order to to dye the, the thing, the vats are huge. And so you need to put in that much. So a way, a way in which um, that's, problem could be solved which we a couple like about 10 years ago tried to come together to do is 
all of mm. the designers pulled together and sort of work in a way that they work abroad where you sit down and decide this season is going to be the color blue. And so everybody comes together, orders, because you're coming together, you can meet the minimum order and you order it up and then you just all make blue bags. And then next season, you just all make yellow bags or whatever it is. So that's a way that it can be solved. However, I don't know that that's, we've tried it, but there are some, there are mm. some issues around it. There, there were some issues around it. And I don't want to say, I think it's kind of irresponsible and also um, narrow-minded to say, oh, Nigerians just don't like working together. Oh, this, this and this. Because perhaps even in, in the other countries where it was done, you know, at first mm. there'll be some um, suspicion about working, Chanel working with Dior and having the same leather. And then it will take a while. There will be a governing body. You know, there will be a trial period. There will be, so that it, there needs to be, first of all, you need to accept that this part of the industry is important. This sector is important. And then, it up, you know, and then listen to the concerns and all of that. So until that happens, it will be, it will be difficult to get people to work together in this way. That hmm. All these sorts of problems you know how do designers today how do they if, if you can't meet minimum orders but people are still making um mm. leather bags how do they then uh, acquire the the leather today oh there are many informal there, there are many informal markets um okay. that are in in the all around the country that sell leathers and the leathers come from um these tanneries when they you know if they have orders they make extra you know just so you make sure the dye job okay. is fine of that and then they, there's a spill off of that and also another interesting part of the leather industry or the leather business is that the leathers that are made here in Nigeria and are sold outside of Nigeria go to lots of um, different tanneries and leather mm-hmm. um, leather technology places right so Spain, Portugal, Italy, where they get the leather, they do all sorts of incredible things to it, like put some foil on it, stamp on it, you know, all of that really nice stuff. And then because it's so trend-led over there and because the trends can be really fast, they don't always meet, you know, the, the everything. And then there's a whole bunch of leather that then comes back to different ports. Lagos is a port, then leather mm. comes back. It's an informal market, it gets sold. So there's also that. Um and that's that's also a good source of getting leathers. Yeah. So, so how long does it take to make? Because you said it's one artisan to a bag. Mm-hmm. So, how long? Um, how long does it take them it to manufacture bag. one bag? It takes a long time. It takes a long time. It can take depending on the style of the bag. Um, our bags are they're quite constructed. There's a construction that goes about it. They're quite structured and you know, in my mind, they have to be built to last. So there's a way that it ha- you have to come, an angle you have to come from. So generally, bags, a, one bag can take 32 hours to make one particular okay. bag. Some bags can take uh, 17 hours. Some bags take 48 hours. Some bags take 72 hours. It just depends on the on the actual style of bag. But it does take a while because there are many components um, that you need to kind of assemble together the kinds of bags. Hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah. So do, do you do all the designing? So the entire designing, is that you? Yeah. Are you the... That is me. That is me. Uh, I do do the entire designing. Um, and it's not even a thing like, oh, I need to be the main designer. It's just 
the way it is. It's just the way it is. Um, I, I'm sure as time goes on, I will take on, I will expand the design team and, you know, it'll be interesting to see, to have that dialogue with other designers and to see how they fit mm. with the aesthetic of how they embody the Zashadu's aesthetic, you know, um, or the, the Zashadu, the, the core of it. Um, and also I'll have other things to do. So, you know, it would be nice to to have that start up before I die, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how did you come up with the, the upside down V? How, how did that, did that just happen again? Or <laughs> did you plan it? it <laughs> I, I'm very interested in geometry. Um, I just, I'm very interested in sacred geometry. I think it's beautiful. I think it's incredible how everything is, has all this geometric, geometrical patterns. So um, that came about through designing a bag, seeing a bag in front of me and thinking, there's just something that's missing about this. And I looked at it for a really long time. I kept looking and I just picked a pair of scissors and just chip, chip, snapped it out. And I was like, there it is. That's what needs to be. That's what needs to be. I need some, you know, I needed something to, to, to leave. Um, and that's how that came about. And I just loved it so much and it stayed. Mm-hmm. Wow, and it's it really has stayed because that's how we can tell now. Oh, that's a Zashadu bag. <laughs> Susanna, what what motivates you? Hmm. What motivates me? That's that's another interesting question. I've had many different uh I've had many different responses to this, but I've I think really what it is is the desire to make a difference. I've 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 realized that that's actually what it is. Um, I feel like we all have, we, we each have, um, a mission to fulfill in life and your mission is to be as authentic as you can, to be the most authentic version of yourself. Because when you are that, the, the, the light of divinity shines through you. So then you are a walking, talking representation of divinity and your beauty just is radiated and it it attracts people to that light, which is the light that we all are, we all have inside of us. And I think that's our duty to keep waking each other up to the light within, you know, so that we go away Mm -hmm. from all of the things that are dragging us into into strife and um, um, dis-ease and, you know, fighting each other and all of those things. So... That's really the thing that drives me. That's the thing that makes me want to uphold certain, um, you know, when you talk about the inside of the bag, for example, I really think a bag for me should be as beautiful as it's functional. For me, that's the, those are the two things. It has to be a marriage of both things. And I think life should be like that. If you look around you, life is mm-hmm. so beautiful. There's so much beauty around you. And, you know, that's, that is a, a, an expression of divinity. And so... I'm always trying to bring that beauty in. I'm always trying to bring your attention to that. I'm always trying to appeal to the senses in that way. That's what makes me really connect with being a human being and give me joy in living. And so that's really it. I I don't know, you know, if that really explains it, but that's really what motivates me. That's beautiful. And I, I know that you've, you've had some personal changes recently and, 
and um, overcome some challenges. And 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 um, in our in our chat earlier, you're talking about how you want to use those experiences, your your healing through that experience to help other people. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you could just unpack that a little for us. Well, I've come to realize that we we each have a signature frequency, right? We each have something about us or a mixture of different things that um, make us who we are. So somebody will be like, oh, I really want you to be around to do this thing because when you're there, it's like this. You know, you have that friend that you know if you just had them, it would be like this. Um, And sometimes we don't realize how special we are as people. We don't realize how magnificent and wonderful we are. We don't believe our own beauty and our own light and our own, you know, ability to really change other people, help other people. A smile sometimes is just can do wonderful things. Like if you think about when you smile to a little girl, it just kind of affirms her somehow. She remembers it. You know, so I I feel like I've been able to sort of go through dark, walk through darkness, right? So darkness within, because that's the thing. It's like the darkness doesn't exist outside of you. We project it on onto the outside. It exists within us because it has to. Light and darkness have to coexist. But we have to become comfortable with our darkness. We have to be able to wade through it and then invite it into the light. It's a shadow. It just needs some light. You know, it just needs to be acknowledged. Um, And so oftentimes we spend too much time in those frequencies. We spend too much time in sadness and in anger and in pain. It's not saying that you shouldn't. You shouldn't feel it, but you shouldn't spend time there. You shouldn't create out of there. And if you are spending time there, you should be aware that you're spending time there. You should be conscious trying to collect data so that you can use it to help another person who might be stuck there, for example. Um, And so I've just seen that we we really are, we we all really need each other. All of our shared experiences, um, we all go through the same things. You know, we all come through the same same enlightenment. And um, the more that we can kind of, help each other the better I, I I feel so that's really I I'm waking up to that purpose within me and in being my authentic self in sharing my experiences um I'm able to help one person two people believe in themselves think that okay I can I can do it this way like you mentioned earlier you know you hear about having a plan and this and that and I suppose the plan I've had is to always use myself as the compass to always feel deeply connected with myself and with what I'm doing and how it makes me feel. So that's my plan. And that's a plan. And that could be a plan that's mm-hmm. not for many people. Um, and we're all different. You know, some people need to have a very tight plan and know what they're doing next. Some people are more free spirited and it's okay to be, to be either. Um, right. And so if I make somebody feel that, ah, oh, being myself is actually okay. I can get this done this way. And that's great. I think that's what we're here to do. Talk to me a little bit about this whole concept of energy healing. What would you like to know? I would like to know what it is, first of all. I mean, I, I've read a little bit about mm-hmm. it in terms of helping people heal naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that last week I was speaking to a lady who is running a a mental health Mm -hmm. care facility in Nigeria, trying to provide premium care for people in Nigeria, you know, and a lot of people are struggling with Mm -hmm. mental health because of, you know, the situation we've been living under and just exploring other ways that people can 
get healing outside of medication Mm -hmm. you know and and just general consultation so I I thought that was an interesting thing Mm -hmm. and I wanted to hear about your crystals um, (laughs) you know I've always I've always been drawn to crystals and I even I even used to use crystals on the bags just generally just because I was drawn to it until I became aware of the gift that I actually have with reading and understanding crystals and being able to use them as a healing tool. Um, But in terms of energy work that I do, because I do do that, it's really kind of about, so there are many, there are many sort of entry points into healing, right? As you mentioned there, there is, all of them are important. Um, and have their places. Every experience that you go through, you store it in your physical body, in your physical body, in your body of bone and blood. So it 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 wedges inside of there, and we carry it around with us. We don't realize. So you might be making efforts, you know, to maybe you might have a therapist, and you might understand it from a an intellectual point of view. Like, okay, this is the issue I have, or you might accept, okay, I. I live with depression or whatever it is, but there are other ways to sort of nudge it out of your energetic field. Um, And that's the the sort of work that I'm interested in. So for example, crystals, the reason that crystals work is because they have a specific, they oscillate at a specific frequency, each one. The color um, resonates with a specific type of healing. So you can have it around you and it will raise your frequency. So where you're trying to, let's say, for example, you're trying to, you know, not sink into depression. You're trying to stay above board. Having certain crystals around you will assist in raising your vibration so that you're not just, you know, kind of toiling and trying to get there. Everything around you is really trying to help as well and it will lift you out of that a little bit easier. Um, there are also, mm-hmm. there's so many things. There's so many sorts of, so I really work with the individual and I will kind of read the person and pick up things that are, you know, in, in their, in their field and let you know what I think and let you know how we can go into it. And each person is so different, you know, but there's a lot of, Hmm. there's a lot of, there are a lot of clues. There's a lot of work. A lot of us think that our dreams are just like, it's just dreams, but every day your subconscious mind is trying to draw your attention to what needs healing through your dreams. So for example, practice of, I, I decode dreams, right? So there's a practice I let my clients know, like you need to record your dreams. You need to pay attention to your dreams. You need to get everything together. And then in a few sessions, I'll teach them how to understand the symbols, understand what your subconscious mind is trying to say. Hey, you would really do very well if you healed this. And healing just means having an awareness of it, bringing it to the surface and having a willingness to let it go, you know? Because sometimes we actually are quite, addicted to our pain it's it's our story we can go around and say this happened to me and that's why I can't do this and you keep allowing it to limit you but if you're ready to kind of surpass that and go to higher heights you can let go of that and I can you know I usually help people to create a framework so that they can expunge things and then kind of you know when you're lighter you can you can move higher so Hmm. that's really kind of what I do so is this another business? Is this another business outside of Zashadu? Yes, it is. It's it's something that I had to um, accept. It took me a while to accept it. It took me it took me a while to wake up to to myself, and then eventually I was like, okay, this is really helping X Y Z, and 
And then people just started finding me. People started coming to me and saying, oh, I so so where do people go to find you today if I, if someone wanted to to learn more or contact you where do they go okay so i have an instagram page now <laughs> uh, and it's called harmonious hall so it's actually my name zaina bashadu you find me with zainab ofome ashadu which is my middle name but the name of the actual handle is harmonious underscore hall hall so whole like together like everything all together w-h-o-l-e and harmonious hall thank you so much for sharing that thank you so much so um going back to to um zashadi very quickly Mm -hmm. i'm thinking about this i'm like should i ask her if she has any what (laughs) i want to ask you you know what's next for zashadi but i'm like you know, knowing Zainab, is she going to tell me? I don't know. Just figure it out as we go along. No, but I'm still going to ask you, Thank what's you. next? What's next as a Thankfully, or luckily, I do have some, some plans. <laughs> just because we've been around for quite a while. And then you get to hear what people want, you know. And also, it my, it's my interest, isn't it? So my home, people come to my home and they're like, oh, my God. And they're really loving what I've done in my space and they want me to do it in their space. So I've started, you know, creating small sort of like home things that people can pick up. Right. Um, also with jewelry, I make a lot of my jewelry that I wear. Um, as I said, I work with all the crystals. So I just feel like this is a, if I don't everything I have has a crystal on it, has a stone that does something, you know, so I create my own jewelry. People like it. So we're expanding into all of these places. We're expanding into jewelry, expanding into home. We've just launched a men's line, which is, you know, which is like, I'm so glad that I've done that because it's been on my back for so long. And I just never had any interest in men, you know, (laughs) I just found men too, kind of, for the most part, too, they weren't mysterious enough, you know, for, to hold my attention as like that kind of thing to work through. It's like men just want X, Y, Z. And I'm like, no, I need something to fight through. Um, but I've, I've become more comfortable with my masculine, with the masculine inside of me. Um, and so I can kind of, I can relate to that. So I, I have a different okay. dialogue. So, yeah, so we, we definitely are expanding um, and bringing more of the things that interest me and make me feel good and make my own life better to you know making it more accessible to people that are interested in that hmm. so so people are able to shop zashadu on on your website yes. from around the world yes, they are. we also are sorry you asked what's next we also are opening up a space now to do more collaborations so i'm working okay. with two or three designers at the moment um and we're coming up with like really interesting you know collections together and that's really nice nigerian designers as well so that's a nice way to have that dialogue as well. And I, I really love it because I respect them and love them and just think it's time we do that. That's awesome. So we're talking about being able to order Zashadu online. Yeah. So I can sit here in Washington and order Zashadu and get it. Absolutely. Fantastic. Fantastic. So this has been a great conversation, Zainab. It's been really good. Thank you for spending time with us. I normally end with um, a reflection and some advice. So in terms of reflecting, looking at all the things that you've done, what do you think has been the most impactful for you as you've built this business um, on the continent? The most impactful. Um, the most impactful, I think, is being being honest, being, being authentic. Let me explain this better. 
Yes, we are a luxury brand, but we are working in Nigeria. We're working in Lagos. Um, and there are many quirks about working in Lagos and living in Lagos. And everybody that works and lives in Lagos knows these quirks. So to pretend like they don't exist because we're offering luxury handbags is uh, going to be problematic. So we're very open and honest with our clients and we take them in. It's really, as I said earlier on, it's a very client-focused um, business. And I think that's really helped because then the clients themselves are championing you. If you have any kind of, you know, mishaps or any kind of disappointment, you know, they are on your side because they also are doing the same thing, living and working in the country. So I think there's a community about that. Um, we're also known for our customer service. We always get that people are always saying, oh, your customer service is amazing, is this, is this. And I'm like, it's just very normal. It's not, you know, it's just, I put myself in the, in the shoes of somebody else. You, 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 you earn your money, you, you work hard, you bring your money to us. We're going to treat you in the best way, you know, because that's what you deserve. And so I think those things are the, the, the key things that have made the brand really take its own, have its own legs and really just come mm. far. So that's what I think is, has been integral to our success, keeping the, the focus on the people who are um, right. in, in your brand. Right. So in terms of advice, if you could give one piece of advice to other female entrepreneurs building businesses in Africa, what, what would that be? <clears throat> I like that it's focused on female, that the, the advice is focused on female. I would say... You have to take care of yourself. I would say put yourself first in everything you do. Um, your well-being, your sleep, your the way you eat, your um, exercise, moving, the things that make you happy. Tap into your joy. Whatever brings you joy, milk it. Um, joy isn't a secondary thing. Joy isn't something that is like once in a while. It should be part of your every waking moment. And the only person that can do that is you. No one's going to do it for you. If you have that, everything else around you will succeed. And when and when things go as shaky, it, it, it's hard to take you off your feet. Hmm. Especially knowing that when something takes you off your feet, then everything that you've built around you crumbles. Um, you're integral hmm. to your business. You're integral to your, your well-being. You're integral to your whole staff, your whole team. Everything is about you. So you really need to pour into yourself. Spark yourself up, I would say. Find that thing that makes you feel really alive and joyous and wonderful and really, really milk it. Thank you so much, Dana. This has been a wonderful conversation. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you're not already subscribed, please do so on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to leave us a review so we know how we're doing. I'm Akego Koye, and you have been listening to African Business Stories. <laughs>